0: I do it regularly. I do it up here, where I'll start talking about something and be like, "So," and then all of a sudden, I'm talking about something completely different. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul does. So, for you that are here this morning, let me encourage you. Those of you that are here, and there, there are a number of you, and I love you, who are very uh, logical thinkers. Um, I won't mention names, but there's a few of you who crack me up because it's like, if it's not logical, it doesn't make any sense. I am the Opposite of that, logic schmagic. We'll get to where we need to go at some point. And I think what happens here in this passage is Paul does something for those of us who wrestle with ADD. It's a real struggle. I have engaged in that most of my life. And this passage this morning is a gift to us. So for you logical thinkers, come back next week. You'll be okay. You can tell Paul runs after rabbit trails just by looking at the first two verses. So if you want to use logic, try to understand the first two verses in logic. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave me to you. For this reason, I, Paul, what? He never finishes his thought, right? I love that. <laughs> now, now we get a little bit of a hint. If you keep reading, so we're, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. But you, what you recognize is Paul does all of these rabbit trail things all of a sudden. For this reason, I'm doing this and I'm this. And this is important and this is what you need to understand. And you see in verse 13, at some point it registers. He's like, wait, I had a point. And he starts over in verse 14. Look at verse 14. For this reason. So there you go, okay? So we are dealing with this ADD rabbit trail, and I love it. Now, even though it's ADD, even though it's a rabbit trail, even though it's somewhat disjointed all over the place, there is an overarching theme. And that theme really gets applied in a couple of ways. But but I think the the way to verbalize it is, there is something bigger. For every single one of us, we need to understand that there is something bigger bigger. And Paul's going to talk about it. First, he says, there is something bigger than my own personal circumstances. So as Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, he is, we believe, under house arrest in Rome. And it's interesting how he begins. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, not the prisoner of Nero, not the prisoner of Caesar. He is admitting right out of the gate, this is not because of Nero or Caesar that I find myself in prison. This is the work of God who is in control and has never been second-guessed or or, or over-authorityed. I am here because God placed me here. I am right where God wants me to be. Could you say that if you got thrown into prison? Uh, there's not a guilty person in prison, you know that, right? If you've ever worked in prison ministry, everybody's innocent. And Paul's like, guilty, I'm completely guilty, but this imprisonment isn't something that I'm going to despise, it's, it's not something that I'm going to look down on. This imprisonment, this difficulty, these circumstances, this is my calling, And he says, I am here in prison on behalf of you Gentiles. He he doesn't see this suffering is without purpose. He doesn't see this as just random. This is intentional. This is God's will. You skip down to verse 13. I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf because they are for your glory. He says, no matter what the circumstances may look like, what I know is in this moment, I am here for your good, for God's glory. This present circumstance this this present nastiness this this present frustration isn't worthless i'm here on purpose if you actually let me fast forward boy do i live in 2022 turn the pages how's that turn your pages to philippians 1 just a couple pages over And you see it come up again. Paul is writing to the Philippian church, again, in prison. And you look at verse 12 in chapter 1. And he says to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what is happening to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everybody else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word Fearlessly. So, Paul says, Listen, I know you're looking at my imprisonment like, oh, poor Paul. He's in jail. How unfair. I can't believe this is happening to him. And Paul's like, hey, knock it off. You got to understand, this, this imprisonment is accomplishing incredible things. Brothers and sisters around the world are looking at my imprisonment, and instead of sitting there with their teeth in their mouth, afraid to talk about the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, are suddenly emboldened to just lift that name of Jesus high. They're not afraid because they're looking at Paul saying, this circumstance, this isn't terrible. In fact, he says, this people here who are living in the Imperial Guard. Those are the soldiers, the the people in the um, uh, military, the people who, call them the police, the, the jailers, who would be attached to the side of Paul while he was in house arrest. And he says, it's really cool. These Imperial Guard people, they think I'm the prisoner. Now think about it. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, probably the worst person to be attached to would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, you think you walk into his cell and it's like, and, and there is, there's some historicity to the fact that most guards would attach themselves to their, their uh, prisoners. And so they'd walk in, attach themselves, sit down, you know, get their stuff situated, look up, and Paul would just be like, Morning. Can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> and in fact, it has such an impact that you get to the end of the book of Philippians, another couple pages over in chapter 4, verse 23. And he's wrapping up his book. Sorry, verse 22. He's wrapping up his, his book. He's greeting everybody. And he says in verse 22, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How did Caesar's household, how did people in Caesar's household become saints. How did they come to know Jesus? Because they were attached to this guy named Paul in his prison cell who couldn't stop talking about the grace of God as it was demonstrated to him through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, as I look around, prison doesn't limit me. So let's, I'll use a big word for the day, extrapolate that. Your difficulty isn't what defines you. Your your hard circumstances are not your identity. The things that you never would have picked for yourself are not the top item on your resume. Those opportunities, those difficulties, those frustrations, those circumstances are opportunities to both experience the grace of God yourself in a way you never would have before and to share that grace with other people. It's to be able to, to understand exactly what Lisa was talking about, that no matter what the circumstances, I can look up and know that Jesus Christ has already overcome all of my difficulties. It's, it's understanding, as, as Paul speaks at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that, that every single one of us who goes through difficulty gets to experience the grace of God in a unique way, and what happens is God comes alongside the one who is suffering, and he comforts that one who suffers. And Paul says, now, now here is our opportunity, that same comfort that we have received from God, I get to share with other people who are going through similar dark times, and they get to experience the very comfort that I have been comforted with. So, so, so going through circumstances that, that you don't pick for yourself often leads you to an opportunity to encourage other people who are going through the same circumstances. You all know that. You've, you've experienced that. I mean, you do that with travel. It's not even a difficult circumstance. Like, you're traveling over there, let me give you some tips, right? Well, I didn't choose, my wife didn't choose for us to go through miscarriage. We didn't choose that. I promise you. We're not like, boy, I hope that happens. No. But through that circumstances, the three times that we have lost little ones, it has given us an ability to speak to other people. Me particularly, it has given me an opportunity to speak to literally hundreds of husbands whose wives have been through miscarriage. It's One of the most forgotten people groups in suffering is the husband of the wife who is going through miscarriage it's given me that opportunity did I choose it no no did I have all the answers the first time second time or third time we went through it absolutely not but what I got to experience with the very nearness of Jesus Christ through that and the way that God called me to love my wife through the most difficult of days and what that did for our marriage was incredible what you've been through is not what defines you what you've been through has given you an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good, and then look at everybody else and go, Listen, I know it doesn't look like it right now, but taste and see, He is good. So Paul didn't let those circumstances define him. Instead, as you read through, it's not hard to find. Paul allows the grace of God to define him. I mean, you look at verse 8, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit in staff devotions this week and made us laugh a little bit. Verse 8, here's Paul, the apostle. Saying, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. All right, so just a mental exercise. Don't say it out loud. But in the next three seconds, think of three believers in Jesus Christ who might register a little lower than the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Anybody got three? I mean, just point to everybody in your row. Don't do that. That would be bad. They're looking at fights in the middle of church. It'd be memorable, memorable, whatever. Um, I think Paul, Paul, this isn't false humility on Paul's part. I mean, he says it a lot. He talks about how he's the chief of sinners. He talks about all these things all the time. And, and I think part of the reason is because he is probably the least unexpected object of God's grace. For a lot of reasons, right? I mean, you could say he's the least likely or the least deserving of God's grace. He was, he was standing in the presence of an execution of a child of God, giving his approval to it because he thought, they're not following after the Jewish way of life. Murder him. In fact, when Paul had his collision with Jesus Christ on the Damascus road, he was on his way to arrest, persecute, and and see that believers in Jesus Christ were executed. Not exactly somebody who's on, I think he's close to accepting Jesus. Just any day now, just going to go right over the edge, and oh, hallelujah. No, 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 he was the exact opposite, and yet Christ arrested his heart on that road to Damascus. Um, You read Philippians 3, and he's like, I I didn't need God's grace. That was my opinion. I didn't need God's grace. I was the man. I was a Benjaminite. Uh, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, I was, when it came to righteousness, I I could touch the law. I had not sinned against the law. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Everybody looked at me and said, that's the man. So, So he was one of the least likely and most unexpected objects of God's grace because he didn't think he needed God's grace. And yet, in the middle of all of that, the murderer, persecutor, hater of Jesus Christ and his people experienced the grace of God Jesus redeemed Paul, made him new, and if God can do that for him, he can do that for you. I mean, honestly, all of us is like, I can't, I've done so much in my past, and I don't pretend like I know your past, I don't know your past, you don't know my past, we'll just say we have a past, right? And I understand that the weight of the guilt and the shame of your past can be heavy over your shoulders, but but many of us are like, well, I just don't think that that God can forgive me for all those things. Don't be so arrogant as to think that you're the one person in all of human history that God can't redeem. Flip side that coin. If the Apostle Paul, I mean, you're talking the the, the OG evangelist, uh, theologian, apologist, I mean, the dude wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament, and he's like, I am the least deserving of grace. If he says that, then maybe you should reexamine your understanding of how much grace you deserve. Maybe you shouldn't take it for granted. Maybe you should stop and thank him for giving you something that you could never earn and never deserve. And Paul, Paul is consumed with that grace because it is so much bigger than he is. And it's bigger than anything he experiences. It's bigger and better than any circumstance that he has ever found himself in. So, so he doesn't allow his immediate circumstances to define him. Because he knows that life is about something far bigger than his present circumstances. And then, then he, he goes on here and in a bunch of different places. Reminds us that in fact not only is, is Paul's life about something more, much bigger than his present circumstances. But he reminds us of this very important thing. The church is something far bigger than a community organization or a family tradition. For too many of us, when you start talking about church, it's a place you go. Or it's, and usually you go Christmas Eve and Easter. I have a lot of sarcastic comments that I won't make, and we'll just say that it's the Holy Spirit actually getting a hold of my heart and keeping me from being sarcastic this morning. We're not even halfway through. There's still time. Don't worry. Okay. I'll need to apologize at some point, I'm sure. (laughs) It's a place we go. It's an organization that we claim. It's a tradition that we love. But that's not what church is. Church is far bigger than that. Paul, Paul tells us that church is actually a very picture of the wisdom of God. Look at verse 10. This is... So that God's multifaceted wisdom may, be, may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. That word, multifaceted, the, the idea that is, is um, manifold, it's, it's many angles, it's, it's, it, the, the best way to understand it is if you were to take the largest jewel you could find and hold it up to the light, and this, this jewel is finished, and it's cut, and it's perfect. When you, you hold it up to the light, the light would shine through it, and the prism would be like, wow, that's beautiful. But then all you need is a different angle, and you get a little bit different light, a little different shading, a little bit different of a view on it. And, and what Paul says is the church is that jewel, That as it's held up, people look at it like, that is amazing. And I find it interesting that just the verse before, again, Paul reminds us that this is is the God who has created all things. Everything that exists, exists because of God. And Paul says, listen, you got to understand that the thing that, that, that God says, I want everybody to see how wise I am. He could have pointed to anything in creation. He could have pointed to the human heart. Have you ever, some of you more so recently have considered the human heart, right? Consider the human heart, consider what it does, how it functions, how the blood flow works, how the nerves are all attached, how this, this organ that is about the size of your fist pumps so much blood at such an intensity that it allows your, your, your fingers, your toes, your extremities to, to have blood flow in them. It's, it's this amazing organ that just pumps blood through the veins and arteries and does all these amazing things. God could have been like, all right, principalities and powers, what I want you to do is, you want to see how wise I am? Check out the heart. He doesn't do that. He could have looked at a, a woman who's expecting and, and has a, and they like, guys, guys, I want you to see this. You want to see how wise I am? There is a baby inside of that woman and it is, it is growing and, 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 and forming in her and, and it gets its nutrition from what mom eats. It's unbelievable. And then, and then mom delivers the baby and then, and then mom feeds the baby. See how wise I am? But he didn't point to that. God God could have certainly pointed to that same baby and said that baby inside a mom is taking the DNA from mom, the DNA from dad, and it's combining those DNAs and instead of it being just a one plus one equals two, it creates in and of itself a completely different DNA. I mean, scientists still can't understand the human genome. God could have said, see how wise I am? God could have pointed to anything in the universe. This, this new satellite, sorry, telescope that has been launched in the last few weeks that, that everybody's excited about being able to see and as that thing unfolds and the mirrors come out and starts taking pictures from the, the furthest galaxies that mankind has ever seen it can be shot right back to earth and people will be like, look at that, that's amazing and God could be like, see, I breathed that. See how wise I am? But he doesn't point to that. God chooses to reveal his wisdom through the church. Us. Us. There's a few reasons why that is. I think one of the reasons is the the very durability of the church. So so think about it. The the demons, the principalities and powers of the air, the demons thought that they had Jesus killed once and for all buried in a tomb, and his followers scattered. Jesus rises from the dead? His followers gather with him? And then he leaves them. And what he has left behind is a group that you don't expect much from. And what he has left behind <laughs> is the New England Patriots without Tom Brady. You don't expect much, and it's a good thing. It's awful. Anyway, this small group of ragtag followers who haven't done anything, and some of them have actually, what they have done is created ways for us to read their personal story and go, what were you thinking? tell Peter, yeah, that guy, gets up in front of thousands of people and unloads the gospel message with power and authority, and thousands of people join this new organism called the church. See, Satan and the demons... And the principalities and the powers of the through everything they had at Jesus Christ. Everything they had at this infant church. You read through the book of Acts and all of the powers and authorities are persecuting them beyond belief. Trying to shut them down. And it should have worked. But what ends up happening is instead of the church being squashed, it spreads throughout the world. It makes no sense. Except for this. The very existence of the church is a sign to the principalities and powers of the world that their authority is nothing and that their final defeat is imminent. The very durability of the church shows that God is going to accomplish his purposes through this multifaceted wisdom that he is placing on display. The church until that day where it hits its climactic end when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. The fact that the church still exists demonstrates the wisdom of God. But there's more. Because the church is like a mosaic. It's like a quilt. Each person is is its own unique picture. Each person is, is revealing a, a part of Christ. Each person is God's workmanship who has been predestined to accomplish the works that God has placed in front of them. Each person, each quilt piece, each part of the mosaic is either equipping other pieces or being equipped by the piece in order to accomplish the work. So let me tell you this, there is some things about Jesus Christ that I can only know for certain, for real, and by experience, by knowing you. Maybe he's walked you through a situation that we talked about earlier that I've never been in. Maybe maybe he's helped you in your workplace that I've never been in. But to, but to be able to get to know Jesus more fully, I need to get you. I need to know you. I need to understand you. I need to walk with you. <laughs> and when you get to know people who are in church, you realize that's gonna be tricky. But on the other side of it, what it looks like is this again. Whew, that's amazing. God's plan is to display his wisdom and through the church to the watching powers, it's to demonstrate his power among his people. So, so please understand this um, the church is not plan B. So so, so let's say a married couple is having difficulties. They're just struggling. And so they're like, all right, so the night, um, they're like, let's pray, let's pray, let's ask God to fix this. God, would you simply zap us? Create in us this love for each other that is unthinkable, that nobody's ever seen before. May I wake up tomorrow and not think of myself but think of her and may I wake up tomorrow and think good. Oh, he is the man of God that you have placed in my life. May we just fall in love with each other. May the world look at us and be like, "Whoa!" So Lord, tomorrow we want to feel that electricity and they wake up and they put their feet on the floor in the morning. And they stand up and it's like, "It's still you." No zapping. All right. Well, if there's no zapping. I guess we could join a community group where there's other married believers who've been married longer than us or shorter than us. It doesn't matter. They come from all kinds of walks and differences. Maybe we could just join a community group and they'll speak truth into us and they'll love us and they'll support us and they'll teach us godly patterns in marriage. See, the the means by which God empowers that marriage is through the church. Maybe it's an addict who's praying the same thing. God would, Holy Spirit, would you just tase me? Help me get some level of victory over this. I just can't get any victory over this. Okay, if I didn't get tased today, then maybe, maybe I should just get involved in a Christ-centered group of people who are going to support me and cheer for me and love me and hold me accountable and walk alongside me and be there for me. You see, what God's going to do in the life of that addict is going to happen through the church. The church is the means by which the Holy Spirit does his work in his people. And he does his work in his people oftentimes, almost every time, by his people. Now, um, this is not original with me. Uh, I read this and I thought, wow, that's profound and offensive. And so I sat down and worked on it for a while this week and tried to make it more offensive. (laughs) Because I think it's important. So hear this. And hear this in love. Hear this in love. If the church is the means by which the Holy Spirit does his work in his people, then you have no right asking God to do his powerful work in you if you have separated yourself from the means of that power. Let me repeat that. If the church is the means by which the Holy Spirit does his work in his people, you have no right asking God to do his work in you if you have separated yourself from the means of that power. Okay, so now let me make it a little bit more real. You're struggling and you find yourself at home Saturday afternoon just wrestling in your heart, whatever it might be, and you cry out to God, God, would you help me? Would you rescue me? Would you release me from this? Would you please do your work in me? I need you to work in me. I need you to change me and transform me. I need you to do this. And you go to bed. And on Sunday morning, you show up at 11.15 for the 11 o'clock. And then just before the last song is sung, because I know services are so very long. I mean, we have shrunk our services in the last year and a half. I'd like to see that go the other way make it a little longer. And you're like, I'm sure you would, Frank, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but that's, that's okay, we shrunk some of the service and this morning's going to go a little long and that's okay, actually it proves my point a little, so we'll see if any of you leave early. Um, because the tendency then is you show up at 11.15 and then we get done and the last song starts, you're like, cool, put your jacket on and you're out the door in your car before we're even done. You're not a part of a community group, you don't serve anywhere, and then you go home and you're like, God, why aren't you working?! Church is the means by which the Holy Spirit does His work in His people. You have no right to ask God to do His powerful work in you if you have separated yourself from the means of that power. And what's amazing is that power that comes through His people is a demonstration to the watching world that God's wisdom is unbelievably amazing. Now, now, please understand this. He does tell us that the wisdom comes as a result of the durability of the church. He tells us the wisdom comes as a result of the dynamic power of the church. But he also tells us, more specifically in this passage than most, that the very wisdom of God is demonstrated when we see the family of God in all of its diversity. For those of you that missed it last week, Paul acknowledges last week in the end of chapter 2 that there were dividing walls that separated Jew and Gentile. In fact, there was literally outside the temple, the the wall, the Jews had hung up a sign that said no Gentiles, and if any Gentile would pass into the, the inner courts, then they were responsible for their own death. They were the only ones to blame, so Jews were like, you guys, stay out. And that wall separated, in the Jewish mind, the good from the bad, the clean from the unclean. And we can hear that and be like, oh, that's atrocious. But don't think that's just a, a Jewish way of thinking. Don't think it was just an Old Testament thing that happened. Every culture has a wall. I read a, I read a, a very um, scientific study this week, and I understood almost 10% of it. Um, I've read it like 100 times. Mark, Mark Andrews was in the office, and he kept looking at the office, and I'm like, I need coffee or something, because this doesn't make any sense. I figured out about 10% of it, and this is the 10% that I figured out. Every culture has a way of defining itself with walls. Every culture. And, and that can be a number of different things. It doesn't just have to be an ethnic culture. It can be an academic culture, a financial culture, a, 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 um, a residence culture. It can be an athletic culture. Every culture has a way of defining its own walls. And the reason we define those walls is because when we put that wall up, it gives us a scorecard. If I'm on this side, good! Good! If I'm on that side, bad. See, pretty easy, right? If I wear a Steelers jersey, I'm not even guessing. Brave, you figure it out. It is ugly. You got Ravens, Steelers, you got all these things. I mean, in fact, there's a reminds me of the traditional Jewish prayer um, where a Jewish man every morning would pray, Thank you, God, for not making me, and he would run through a list. Thank you for not making me a slave. Thank you for not making me a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a woman. Those are very politically correct statements today. <laughs> but the, the whole idea was, I can, it's not even elevating yourself above those things. It's demeaning those things. So, so you're actually not climbing the ladder any higher. It just looks like you're taller because you're around a bunch of short people. Right? And every culture does that. Hey, you know, we're smarter. We're better athletes. We, um, we, we show more courage in battle. We're, we're better to our... Our wives and women, where our families are stronger. We live in a better country. We, and we do all of these things so we can place around us this imaginary wall that distinguishes us and it makes us feel like we're better than everybody else. And what Paul says is, listen, you've got to understand, in Jesus Christ, all of those interior walls have been demolished. Those walls don't exist because there's a common problem for all cultures. Every humanity, doesn't matter what sports team you cheer for, it doesn't matter what level of academics you've achieved, it doesn't matter what financial standing you find yourself in, all of those walls have been destroyed because the commonality between mankind is this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And as Ephesians 2 told, uh, told us a couple of weeks ago, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And I, I love Princess Bride, but it's theologically inaccurate. You cannot be nearly dead. Okay? You are dead dead. And thank God that love has triumphed over death. I mean, he, he tells us we have been made alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is completely radical. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where two dead men once stood, one very alive man now stands The resurrection of Jesus Christ has eliminated all walls, all boundaries. So no longer is your identity about what country you're from. I'm from Canada, Mexico, I'm from Russia, I'm from America. Forget that. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or Latino. It's not about being a Steelers or a Ravens fan. All of those things are secondary distinctions. It's not that they don't exist. It's just they're not that significant. And Jesus smashing That wall down between Jew and Gentile was astonishing. I mean, you can read the Old Testament and the Jews were the ones who were going to stand before God for all of eternity and a few Gentiles might get in. And so that was certainly taught throughout the Old Testament, but it was never a thought. It was never mentioned. It was never even hinted at that the Jew and the Gentile would be, verse 6, co-heirs, members of the same body. Partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This new people has been created through the work and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now, where all of these different ethnicities stood, where all of these different people groups stood, all these different cultures stood, now there stands one, it's called the church. The gathered assembly of people whose primary identity is nothing less than being a people who have been redeemed by the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the church is a bigger deal than we realize the church is a bigger deal than we realize because what's happening is God is saving all kinds of people from all kinds of places in all kinds of backgrounds all kinds of languages that's true because the gospel is true for everyone so what is the gospel the gospel is the declaration that our identity is a child of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Folks, the gospel is for everyone. All 200,000 people who call Carroll County home, the gospel is for everyone. All 6 million Maryland residents, the gospel is for everyone. All nearly 8 billion people who live on the planet Earth, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ saves not just one kind of person, But his salvation is available to everyone. And when the church gets that without reserve, it can't help but talk about the grace that it has experienced. It can't help but share the good news of Jesus Christ that though I was dead, I now live. And it's not because of anything I did, it's because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. The gospel is to be shared with everyone. And if the church is doing its job and celebrating the fact that the church still exists, it has been durable. The power of of the the church exists because it is working through the individual hand and feet of Jesus Christ in the people. If we're celebrating the very diversity of the church, then then this, this manifest, manifold, multifaceted wisdom is on display for the whole world to see. But here's the problem. And let me close with this goofy illustration. Here's the problem. When the church doesn't do its job, it is the ugliest thing that you can see. One of the best things I love, and it's a little insight into me, I love Broadway uh, productions. I know you, you look at me like, really? I love Broadway. Uh, in fact, for a little while there, we were doing like uh, Song Monday or something in the office, and we would all just start singing. And, uh, and for a while there, it was a different Broadway show each week, and, and I surprised a few people. I got skills, which is not how you talk if you like Broadway stuff. Um, <laughs> I love going to Broadway. You go to Broadway production, right? And you watch and it's like, it's amazing. You get these people who have the resources and the experience, they've had the practice and the rehearsals, they've got the technology, their set design is mind blowing. The orchestra plays and it's just like goosebumps everywhere, right? It's like, whoa, it's amazing. You go to that Broadway theatrical production and you're amazed. It's one of the most beautiful things you can see. Now, go to a local high school production. I love you, I know, but mine was great. It was amazing. Um, I get it. No, I'm just kidding. My kids were in them. I should stop there. Um, But but let's say they're going to do Phantom of the Opera. They're like, we're going to do Phantom of the Opera. Okay, these kids have not spent the hours upon hours upon hours of rehearsal. They certainly, and here's my biggest complaint about local high school theatrical productions. They do not have the technology to pull that off. I mean, their microphone's are like, hello, hello, is anybody here? <laughs> I mean, it's awful. So, it's awful. But you sit there and you're not upset because you can watch and you're like, these guys, they're doing their best with what they have. It's not upsetting. It can be painful at times, but it's not upsetting. The most disgraceful thing in the entire world when it comes to that genre is to go to a Broadway musical That's terrible. They should know better. They have the resources. They've got all the rehearsal time. They have every bit of technology they could ever want. They have the theater. There is no excuse for this place to put on such a lousy production. It's appalling, and I guarantee you, people will know it's appalling, and they'll stop going. And yet, somehow, the high school one's packed out still. Friends. When the church isn't doing its job, there is nothing uglier. But when the church is being the church, you know it shines? Not the church. <laughs> the very wisdom of God. Are we doing our job? Are you? Let me tell you this right now you were to stop, like I said earlier, and think about the grace that has been poured out on you and how you don't deserve it, (laughs) the watching world would take note that you understand what you have been given because you wouldn't be able to keep your mouth closed. Do you understand? Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you that I'll although we on our best day have created more and more situations where we need grace, that on our worst day you looked at us and gave us that grace. So, Father, I do pray that as your church, and I don't mean this building, I don't mean Uniontown Bible Church, I don't mean any of that, I mean each one of us who is sitting here, the individual who has been rescued by Jesus Christ. Father, may we May we put our hand to the plow and not look back. May we celebrate the, the diversity that we can have with other people knowing that the common bond we have is nothing else but the blood of Jesus Christ. May we understand that the power that you have given to us for life change is, is, is given to us through your people. May we invest in that. May we understand that we have been so far from you and helpless to do anything about ourselves, and yet God loved us and sent his son. Jesus Christ and now and now instead of standing in that brokenness with a whole mess of different cultures and ethnicities and people groups instead what stands before you is one man one woman who've been rescued by the Lamb of God God may our appreciation and gratitude flow from us in ways that it hasn't before may you take our thankfulness and turn it into something beautiful and may it put a smile on your face. We ask these things through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.